I want to let you know I am not your pastor. <laughs> um, we are so happy um, Pastor Lane and uh, Shelly were able to get away on a, um, a vacation with their family for the holidays, and um, we just wish them a, a wonderful time. We hope they're having a great time, and they send their love to all of you, and um, this is a, a, I appreciate about this time of year. It's just great to be able to spend that time with your family to um, enjoy this season. And so we wish them very well and they send their love um, to all of you. I am, um, for those of you who don't know, I am Shelly's sister and it's great to have um, our mom here with us today. And uh, my husband and I just recently moved back here. I have been um, in the Chicagoland area for about the past 10 years and uh, just recently, we um, moved back to come and work at my parents' church in Oakwood. So just a few exits um, further north. So I was really thankful that um, Shelly and Lane trusted me to uh, be here with you today. And um, I really think the Lord has given uh, me a word on my heart to share. He knew exactly who would be here today. He knew exactly what we would need. And I know that um, as he began to open this up and showed this to me, um, that my heart was very, very stirred and changed. And I think that um, that should always be our mission and our goal, that every time we go to the Word of God on a daily basis, whether it's on Sunday in our service and our pastor is preaching, or whether it's in our daily devotion of God, let your Word change me today. If I have to go back through and read a chapter again, because maybe I didn't get it the first time, I think that's so important that we always let the Word of God uh, talk to our hearts. Um, So one last time before we start, If we can just um, take a moment and just lift our hearts to the Lord. Jesus, we are asking, Lord, we are so thankful that you have met with us here today. That you have been so close to us, Jesus. And I'm asking, Lord, that one more time you would just let your presence sweep into this place, God. I pray that our hearts would be opened to your word. God, I know that you know exactly where each and every one of us are at in our lives right now. You know exactly what trials and what burdens and what struggles wait for us when we walk out of this sanctuary today. And God, I'm asking that you would put something in our spirits today that would equip us, Lord, to handle those situations with grace, Lord, and above all with your power to know, God, that we are not walking through life alone, Lord, but you are walking hand in hand with us. We come in your authority. We come with your blessing and with your favor, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. So um, typical American Christmas, when you think of this time of year, you think of Christmas lights and you think of Christmas parties, you think of that quintessential scene of the, of the fireplace and roasting marshmallows and everybody snuggling on the couch with blankets and um, the Christmas tree is lit up and it's all dark in the room and we all have that image, right? We can see what we see Christmas as. And then the other thing that is quintessential for American Christmas is those cheesy, cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Even if you don't watch them, you've heard about them. You've heard about it's the same plot. And I saw this meme somebody has posted. It says, does every Hallmark Christmas movie have the same plot? Yes. Am I still going to watch them and act surprised when Susan falls in love with the small town baker who only wears sweaters instead of falling for the big city CEO? Yes. And that is the story and the plot of every Christmas story and movie that has ever been made right there. That is the sum up of the plot. So even if you don't watch them, 
everyone finds these sappy Christmas stories sometimes moving. I know my husband will laugh at me because we were somewhere, I can't remember where, and I saw a Cole's Christmas commercial. And he looks over and I am just weeping. I mean, tears just streaming down my face because these young teenagers had gone and decorated this older lady's house and they had done it as an act of love. And I'm just crying. It's so sappy and moving. So you catch yourself, you know, stopping a tear from falling, even though you know the story is fiction, even though you know it's made up, but it sounds so sweet, but it's not real. And actually, usually it's completely impractical and totally unrealistic the the way these stories will play out. At the end of it, you're like, there's no way that ever happened for anybody. But there is a story that we tell this time of year that is not fiction and it is not untrue. And it is considered the greatest story ever told. And I know this is a little bit of a long reading today, but I think it's Christmas time, and so I thought I could get away with it. Um, I would love, you're welcome to turn, we've got it on the screen, or you're welcome to uh, turn in your Bible. I would love to read, it's, it's a few verses, we're going to read about 20 verses of scripture, but it's from Matthew chapter 2, and I'm asking that you would just open your heart and, and really let the words of this story um, impact you. So in, in the previous chapter, we had just seen Jesus Christ was born. And the chapter starts, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judea. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I can come and worship him also. And then we know from the story, the story goes on to tell us in a few uh, passages of where they found the king and they went and worshiped him. But the Bible says in verse 13, it says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. The story goes on, continue to read, reads a little longer. And then in verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 19, it says, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. The Bible tells us that they moved to Galilee in verse 23, the last verse I'm going to read. It says, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, 
that it would be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now it's so important to understand when we read, read the gospels that every gospel was written for a specific audience in mind. When we read the book of Matthew, Matthew wrote his gospel account to Jewish people in his day, were people who were Jewish Christians. So these people, they knew the Torah, they knew the prophets, they knew the word of God that had been spoken. So Matthew's message and his theme was to let them know that the long-awaited Messiah had come. But if you notice in this chapter alone, you can tell who he's writing to because Matthew refers to prophecy being fulfilled four times, four times in this chapter alone, he says, so that it might be fulfilled what the prophet said, four different times. But as I got to looking at these fulfillments, I found something interesting, three of them. So in verse five, it says, these are all speaking of Jesus. Verse five, it says, out of Bethlehem is where he will come. Then verse 15 says, the prophet was fulfilled that said, out of Egypt have I called my son. And then in verse 23, he says, the prophet was fulfilled that said, he will be called a Nazarene. And if you look through, you have to remember that these prophecies were given before the details of the story were ever laid out. So if you just look at those prophecies, you're like, I am so confused. Where is this guy going to be from? Is he a Nazarene? Is he coming from Egypt? Is he going to be born in Bethlehem? I'm so confused because there's so many different prophecies that are being fulfilled. But something that is so powerful is we have the privilege of seeing these prophecies fulfilled in the story. We get to see the story unfold. We weren't just part of, oh, we saw these random prophecies. How in the world are these all going to fit together? We get to read the story. But where our faith struggles is we don't have the ability to do this in our own story that God is writing because we cannot tell the end from the beginning. We feel like we're just caught up in the middle sometimes. We can't tell what part of the story he's at. We don't know if this is the beginning, the middle, the ending. We feel just wrapped up and confused in the story that he's telling in our life. And how in the world is this ever going to end without some terrible ending? I am the worst at coming up with just, there is no other outcome except just tragedy is going to strike. I just, I worry so much about those things. I remember when I was in college, I was dating a guy and we had dated for about two years. And you know, you've all been there before, whether whoever you were dating and you're just, you knew they were the one, you knew this is the person I'm going to marry. It just makes sense. Of course, we're in love, even though we're like 12, you know, I mean, this is just, this is right. And we were dating at the time and he had gone to work at a church in Chicago and he was under a a pastoral team. And there was a couple that was on his team and their names were Vito and Rachel. And we had all gone to a conference together. I was living in Florida at the time and he was there in Chicago and we had all gone and his pastoral team had come with him. And while we were at this conference, the Lord paired me up with the team, uh, Vito and Rachel, and we ended up, the three of us prayed together. And during that moment, you've had these moments in your life before where the three of us were praying together and the Lord just so, you know, when he'll just talk to your heart, so much impressed on me, this will be a team that you will work together with one day. 
you will work together as a team. And I was just so moved in my spirit. So of course, as we always do, I finished the story for God. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. I'll marry this guy. I'll move to Chicago. We'll work at that church together. Of course. Well, the guy broke up with me. I was like, uh, God, this is not how the story is supposed to go. Like, you missed it. I had the whole plot laid out for you. Like, what about this promise that you've given me to work with this team? How in the world will this ever unfold? Well, of course, I could spend hours telling the story, but God, in his incredible storytelling ability, even though that was not the person that I ended up with, that was not the guy that the Lord had for me, for the next, I, I came home and worked in, in Georgia for two years. Then for the last 10 years of my life, the place I have been, I was with Vito and Rachel. They were my pastors because God is the ultimate storyteller. He knew how to work out all the details. It made no sense to me, but I had it all laid out. But God was like, no, no, no. My story is better because my story is perfect. Because just like the Pharisees, they missed the Messiah altogether. They missed him altogether because they took the promises. They took these same fulfillments that Matthew was talking about, and they gave it their own interpretation of, oh, well, he's going to be a governor. Then, of course, he's going to come in on a white horse, and he's going to destroy the Romans, and it's going to be this grand moment. They had laid it out of exactly what they thought the story should look like. And when they did that, when Jesus came as a humble carpenter, he turned their world upside down because they were like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is not how you were supposed to come. This is not the interpretation I had of who you were. The quote reads, somehow we realize that great stories are told in conflict, but we are unwilling to embrace the potential greatness of the story we are actually in. We think that God is unjust rather than the master storyteller. And we've all been there where we look up in the heavens and we say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing with my life? This doesn't make sense. I don't understand what I'm walking through. Do you know what you're doing? And we call him unjust instead of remembering that he is the master storyteller. Philippians 1 and 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My friend Rachel would always say that phrase, he knows the end from the beginning. We feel so blinded in the middle of it. We feel so confused, but he is the master penman, and he is writing a master story. So really, I say to you today that the greatest story ever told is still being written because it didn't stop when Jesus was born in the manger. It didn't stop when he grew up and was crucified and was buried. The story didn't stop when he was resurrected and ascended. The story did not stop when his disciples went to the upper room and received the promise of the Holy Spirit that is still for us today. It didn't stop when the pages of the Bible ended. 
But the greatest story ever told is still being written. And the greatest part is that we are part of it. We are still part of that great story. Since as long as I can remember, since I was a child and my mom can attest to this, I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted to have kids. And I used to, my favorite thing to do as a kid when I would play was I would always play house. And I was the strange little kid who didn't just like, oh, this was fun. I played with my dolls. Let's move on. Like, I would put them to bed at night, tuck them in. I pretended like our couch was my minivan. I would load them all in the back of the van and drive them to school in the mornings. I would go be a teacher at school while my kids would go to school. Like, I played these elaborate games of house. I was the kid who came to church with my, with my baby doll stroller, bringing the baby dolls. Like, never went anywhere without a doll. Just always wanted to be a mom. Always wanted to have kids. Well, the Lord blessed me, and thankfully I did not marry the other guy, and I married the wonderful man that I did, my husband Cameron. And I remember um, we had been married a few years, and when the conversation came up of, hey, let's, we've been married about three years. Let's, let's start talking about kids. You want to have kids? Okay, let's have kids. So, and our story went a lot different than I thought our story would go. I thought, you know, you just decide you're going to have kids. Let's have some kids, Right? Well, we got, um, I became pregnant. I can't, I, timeline gets confusing to me. And um, at our, I remember I'd actually come in town to surprise my parents to tell them I'd given them a Christmas stocking, baby's on the way, we're going to have another, we're going to have a kid, you're going to have another grandkid, we're so excited. And the weekend I was here with my parents, I actually um, went through a miscarriage and I miscarried our first, our first child. And I remember just truly, I wish I knew how to explain that. If you've ever walked through that before, just truly devastated. I remember just being devastated and thinking of all of these things, of all of these promises, of all of these things that I wanted fulfilled in my life. And I was like, hey God, you you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you're part of this? Are you sure you're you're walking with me through this? Because I I just feel so, so broken and lost. Well, seven months later, the Lord blessed us, and I, I became pregnant again. And um, at my, I think, nine or ten-week checkup when we were going to have our first ultrasound, um, the doctor came in, and he dismissed my family from the room. My parents had come in town. We were all excited. And he said, actually, I want everybody to leave the room. As soon as he said that, I just, my, my heart just dropped, you know, and I just was like, oh, this is, this is not a good sign. And sure enough, we, we went through this again. We went through a second miscarriage. And while the first one, of course, it was very hard for me, but while the first one had been so, so hard on me, the second one was very challenging on my husband, really shook his faith, really, um, really made him question a lot of things. He, he was in that place of, okay, God, where are you at? Do you, do you know what you're doing? And on the other side of that, yes, the Lord has blessed us since then. And we have been very, very blessed with two precious little girls. And they have been such a blessing to our family. But in the middle of that, you kind of like when we read about these heroes of the faith and the word of God, you don't see the end of the story. You, you don't see how it's going to end. You don't see how in the world this is going to unfold in any way in my favor. 
And we find ourselves in those moments and we feel so broken and we feel so confused. And we truly do ask the question, if we are honest with ourselves and we say, God, where are you at? Are you sure you're in this? Are you sure you're part of what's happening in my life right now? I I don't see you. I can't find you. I, I don't know what's happening in the middle of this right now. We've all been there. It might not be a miscarriage for you. It might, be, it might be a relationship that is so broken in your life right now and you see no way for reconciliation in that. You see no way that God could ever mend what has been broken. Maybe there are dreams you've had to, to own your own business or maybe there are dreams that you've had to have healing in your family. Maybe there are just certain promises that you feel that you've been given in your heart and you are at the point where you say, God, I'm just, I'm just putting those things on the back burner. I'm putting them aside because I see no way that this could ever be fulfilled in my life. But if this story of Jesus tells us anything today, obviously there are hundreds of promises that we could pull out of this. Just even knowing that the fact he was born is the reason we're able to be here today. The reason we're able to experience his presence. But if this story can teach us anything today, it is the fact that whatever promises he has given you, whether I don't care if they don't make sense together, I don't care if where you are in your life right now, that promise looks like it is a, um, what do they say? A square peg in a round hole. That there is no way this is ever going to fit. There is no way God could ever work this out. The God that we serve is a master storyteller. The word of God opens with saying in the beginning, And we read the story about he spoke things into creation. What was not, he made as it were. And I think sometimes that one of the attributes of God that we can forget in our everyday life is God as a creator. His creation, it didn't stop in Genesis chapter 1. He didn't suddenly say, oh, that's part of my nature that I will never, never use again. He's still speaking things into our lives. He is still the creator. He can still look at your situation and speak hope. He can still look at your circumstance and speak where there was barrenness and say, you will be fruitful now. He's still doing that today. That didn't end when the word of God, when the Bible was closed and ended. We are still part of that story. You can all stand. I know this is a a little bit of an unconventional way to end the service today. But I think it's so important for us to understand those words. That the greatest story ever told is still being written. And that the most important part of that for you to see is that you are part of that story. We read these great heroes of the faith. We read about Joseph and we see his story and we're like, oh, that's so great. That's a beautiful story. But we don't forget that for us, it's condensed to 12 or 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. Joseph lived that out every day in that moment where he sat 
in prison and saw no way out. He didn't have the privilege that we have of reading the end of the story. He had no idea how God was going to unfold that for him. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you today that wherever you find yourself in your story, whatever those promises are that you feel are so dead in your heart, those places that you feel like, God, I'm really not sure you're part of this right now. I want to encourage you today with this, that Jesus Christ is the master storyteller. That as long as in faith you have still given him the pen and you are saying, Jesus, I want you to keep writing my story. The ending will be beautiful. I can promise you of that. There will be mountains and there will be valleys and there will be pieces that maybe don't make sense to you, but not one ounce of your pain will ever be wasted. Not one piece of your story will ever be in vain. As long as we are willing to say, God, I trust you with the pen. I trust you with this pen to write my story. I wonder if as a church family, we could come together in the front. I'm going to go over and we're going to sing an old song together. I wonder if we could um, just answer the call of faith that we feel in this place right now and gather, gather in the front. I really believe that God wants to just encourage our faith right now. I think that he wants to increase our faith right now. And I wonder if all together we could sing just this, this old song that you probably know. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to Jesus, oh, for 
before we close, I wonder if you could just reach over and link up with the person that's next to you. And sometimes when we don't have the faith for our own circumstance, when we don't have the faith for what we're dealing with for ourselves, sometimes we need our brother or our sister to link together and join with us and say, I've got some faith for you. So I wonder if we could do that right now, if you could pray for the person that's next to you and say, God, I release my faith for my brother or my sister right now. God, that whatever they find themselves in, whatever circumstance that they are facing, oh God, God, wherever they are struggling in their faith, Lord, God, I pray that I would come alongside of them, Lord, and that together we would have the faith to trust you to be the author of our story, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. trust in. God, that every promise you have spoken, it will be fulfilled. That every promise that you have given, it will happen. God, and we can, we can hang our hats on that, Lord. We can trust that because you are faithful, Jesus. You are faithful, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that. God, we just thank you for your sweet presence that's here with us right now. We thank you that you have chosen to meet with us today. Thank you, Jesus. What a sweet presence is here. What a sweet presence of the Lord is here. We just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for meeting with us here today. Our final act of worship is to give our tithes and offerings. In Philippians 4.19 it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to return the tithe to you. We pray that you bless these gifts and use them to grow your kingdom. We pray for provision and protection for your people. We thank you and love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please bring forward your tithes and offerings.
As you go about your week, remember the words from 2 Corinthians 13 and 14, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you all for coming to worship today. May God bless you.